0: Very pleased to be joined on this episode of the Warning Podcast by David Rothkopf, a Daily Beast columnist and host of Deep State Radio. I think he's one of the best and most insightful writers out there talking about this moment in time. David, welcome.
1: Uh, nice to be here.
0: How do you see it? What's going on? in 2023 America as we get ready to make the turn
1: into the election year um uh, there's certainly a lot to be worried about i you know the the irrationality of the degree of support for essentially a proven criminal to be president of the united states um casts every judgment one could make into doubt. You know, here you have somebody who was impeached twice, and, you know, we all know the the litany of his wrongs, any one of which should have disqualified him uh, since he appeared on the scene, which was, you know, now eight years ago. And yet, at this particular moment, his control over the Republican Party seems stronger than it's ever been. Even with all these trials, even with all we know about it. And so it becomes very difficult in that kind of circumstance to say, well, the rational analysis, which is that he's unfit, that people know he's unfit, that the policies he's proposing actually work against them, not for them, that he's likely to end democracy and strip away their fundamental freedoms, those things don't seem to hold. And uh, you know it's the kind of thing you've been talking about for a long, long time it's very uh disorienting as you know to anybody who looks at this scene and tries to draw logical conclusions
0: there's the apocryphal quote by Upton Sinclair that when fascism comes to America it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying the cross is fascism the right word i've used it for a long time and i i think we're well across the line
1: yeah it's absolutely the right word i mean uh they are using all the tools of fascists uh, from threats of force bullying singling out uh scapegoat groups in society disinformation uh attacks on uh institutions, on the rule of law. Um, uh, so yeah, they are they are fascists. And uh, that quote, you know, bears a lot of scrutiny, you know, with the ascension of Mike Johnson to be speaker of the house, a man who asserts that a few weeks prior to becoming speaker to the house, God spoke to him and said that he was going to have to play the role of Moses which should have somebody carting him off to a padded cell someplace, um, it, it instead, was a signal to millions of evangelical supporters of the far right to say, This is our moment. We are on, we are at the doorstep of a theocracy. That's what we wanted all along. Stick with me, I'll get you there.
0: There is a fairly well-reported story about Stephen Miller, where Stephen Miller is in the Oval Office, and General Milley turns towards him and says, quote, shut the fuck up, Stephen, end quote. And the occasion of this is Stephen Miller speculating about using the US military to strike at refugee boats somewhere off the coast of Mexico outside of America's territorial waters but killing all of the all of the people on the on the boat. So I know for sure right that Stephen Miller no compunction whatsoever about killing those people. None 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 whatsoever. I I know that Trump had a hesitation about shooting the black people in front of the White House. He didn't want to use lethal force. He just wanted to shoot them in the legs and the kneecaps. And that was the question that that he asked. Uh, the the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff if the military could shoot them in the leg. My question is with Speaker Johnson who said what you said he said plus believes that people and dinosaurs were walking around with each other 6,000 years ago. Is he a fanatic is he a terribly naive will believe anything type of person he just can't distinguish what's real or not or is he a genuinely fanatical theocratic character who with a pleasant demeanor, looks and says, I believe everything that's in the Bible, that that guy would kill you in a millisecond, just like the Taliban would uh, for deviating from his theocratic line. My question is, when you look at these people, how do you evaluate that? Do you you worry about it? Do you worry about that this person, if they could, if they could, would lock you up, would send you away, would take away your property and possessions? How how do you process these people in this moment and their danger?
1: Well, I think on the on, on the one end, you have to take their threats extremely seriously. And I go back to your reference to Stephen Miller. You know, I wrote a book um, about a year ago called American Resistance. And it, I, I talked to 100 people in the Trump administration who saw this up close and who said, you know, we can't risk another Trump term. These include cabinet members. I spoke to cabinet members who said he would bring up ideas like that regularly. He regularly brought up the idea of firing missiles at the caravans coming across Mexico, of putting a moat at the southern border and filling it with crocodiles, of uh, of bringing troops to the southern border and having them shoot at people coming across the border. Um, He still, to this day, talks about using the Insurrection Act to put people down, he says that he um, aspires to having the power of foreign dictators who put their opponents in jail or to death. And he's got people in his small universe of toadies like Stephen Miller, like Kash Patel, other people who go out there who say, yeah, we're gonna arrest media critics. We're gonna throw them in jail. We're going to silence them. Um, So, you know, I don't have to know whether they think that's um, uh, founded in some kind of ethical ideology that, you know, is impossible to fathom, but, or whether they're, uh, they think that's a line that appeals to the base. I don't have to know whether they're insincere or not uh, regarding their motives. I know that in practice this is something that they have tried to do. And I think the same is true with Mike um, Johnson. I've talked to people who followed him very closely on the Hill. They see him as you know, so fanatic that he makes you know, Mike Pence uh, look like a rational, non-sectarian kind of representative of the scientific community. Because he does believe in the Flintstones version of, you know, of of the world, you know, people and dinosaurs together at the same time. But the other thing that he believes is that gay people shouldn't be allowed to marry each other, uh, that gay sex is an abomination, and it should be illegal, uh, that um, uh, women shouldn't control their own bodies. Uh, And this, you know, again, we don't have to know whether the people who say these things are grounded in deep religiosity, or whether they are cynical politicians seeking to seize the moment. What we know is that there are women whose lives are in jeopardy in places like Texas who can't get the health care they need, who have to flee the state, and that it's not just Texas, it's multiple states, And the number is growing and growing. So they're translating these extreme ideologies, like the Taliban, into the rule of law. And it's happening at a stunning rate. So, you know, I mean, I'd be interested to know whether he is insincere or whether he's as stupid as he appears to be. Um, But I will fear him whether he's sincere or not.
0: And that seems to me to as always to have always been the main point, which is that you have to take these people literally and seriously, because there's only a couple of ways that the republic falls. And a couple of them have no possibility of happening in the United States. We will never have a Colonel Qaddafi type coup, right? We will not have a junta of colonels. If our democracy falls or is profoundly degraded, it will happen over a successive series of elections. Um, Beginning in 2024 with, with Donald Trump being elected with this plan conceived at the Claremont Institute uh, and that the Heritage Foundation implemented, which really fundamentally disassembles the federal government, um, destroys the civil service, cronyizes government at a moment in history when it is far larger, more sophisticated than anything could have been conceived in the heyday of tammany for instance um and so it will lead to a epic type of corruption that is fully uh banana republican uh as it as it as it as it plays out but why why do you think that the alarm has not reached people as a general proposition in the country in a way that, hey, these guys keep saying that they're going to do this if you vote for them. And there has never been an instance, ever, never in human history, where the people who said, I'm going to lock you up, where I'm going to deport millions of people, where I'm going to open up camps to hold them in, where they didn't do it. I mean, one hundred percent of the time uh, that people who got elected on that platform, promising to take down the democracy along with it, you know, in his case, retribution and revenge. There's, there's, there's exactly zero examples of people saying that that were just saying it for show. They all, they all mean it. And there seems to be an incapacity in the country to appreciate that the person saying these things, uh, who may be elected within a year, means them very sincerely.
1: There's several factors. One factor dates back to Ronald Reagan. It's the minimization of the importance of government. It's 40 years of hearing um, that government is the problem, not the solution. Uh, And a lot of people out there, um, because they've heard this, don't think it matters very much what happens in Washington. Don't take it as seriously as they should. Another factor is ignorance. A lot of people either don't care to know or they listen to information sources that describe the world not as it is, but as um, a, as a bunch of ideologues would like you to see it. And so they're in this Fox News, you know, information system, and 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 so they they don't have the truth at their disposal. There's another group that's angry at the world and wants to lash out. And thinks that, you know, Trump and these others are going to finally strike back at the elites and, and the others who they resent because they're having, they think, better lives than they are. Um, and you know, I, I, I think we could probably find some other explanations for this, um, including among evangelicals a desire that there is, or a sense that God wants them to pursue a particular path. You know, that, that, that their particular religious beliefs say, even though this man who is leading us is deeply flawed, if he bans abortion, if he bans gay sex, if he does the things that are aligned with our religious tenets, that he is serving the mission of our God. And so you've got, when you take all these groups, tens of millions of people, 30% of the U.S. electorate, maybe it's 40% of the U.S. electorate. And when you have that, you you, you, you all of a sudden become within striking distance of seizing power. And power itself is an aphrodisiac. There are plenty of Republicans, plenty of people you know, who in 2015, 2016 said, That Trump, he is dangerous. All of them, but if he offers me a good enough job, I can fix it. You know, let me into the government. I'll, I'll, you know, and they sort of went along with it. You know, they validated it. One of the great shocking stories, I mean, of the of the past uh, ten years, is that the Republican establishment just sat on their hands. You know, where was the Bush family? In all of this. You know, now you have Liz Cheney out there as a voice and more power to her. But mo but but that there was this kind of well, let's, you know, let's let's see how this goes. Um, and so all these forces together create the kind of situation where you can have this guy come in who has no ideology. He's a narcissist, all he cares about is himself. He doesn't believe america should be x or y or z he doesn't care he believes america should serve his interests he sees it through the eyes of somebody who's deeply psychologically disturbed and sees all of us as supporting characters in his movie and that you know is it's kind of the most disturbing thing of all because his worldview is so warped and his sense of of that that public of public service is is so negligible that he has no sense of obligation to the people. He believes the people are obligated to him.
0: All of those things that you just said, I mean, are, from my perspective, indisputably true and inarguable. My here's my question why why is he beating the democrats right now why why is he winning and he is winning if the election were tomorrow he would he would win the election why, why is he winning why why is this movement better organized better funded and more dangerous today than it was on January 6th, in your view. And I and I think it's incontestable that it is.
1: Well I think I think he's certainly very strong. And I think we could have an interesting debate about whether he's winning or he's competitive. But he's either within striking distance of winning or he's winning. You know, I mean so that this is this this is uh, a moot point really uh because we've got to ask Given that all these things are incontestable, how could that happen? Uh, and I think you know you've got the support of the, of these groups, you've got the, um, the 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 weakness of the other leadership within the Republican Party towards this, um, and th- I think there is a kind of a almost a sense of inevitability that has settled in over the Republican Party with regard to this race. Um, and, 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 you know, perhaps some of it has to do with the fact that he's a nasty piece of work and that he could win. And if he could win and he's a nasty piece of work, he can really do some damage to the people who oppose him. And I think there are some people who are just afraid. I think some of it has to do with the fact that Democrats have not come at him as strongly, as regularly, in as targeted a way, as they should. Now, part of that, I give credit to President Biden, right? He said, no, I'm going to govern. I'm going to do a good job. I think ultimately that's going to work. And if you talk to the people close to him, they'll say it worked the first time. He beat Trump the first time. You know, it gets him across the line with certain swing groups of voters that will ultimately lead him to prevail. Being a good president matters. Um, And while I think that may be true, and we've seen Democrats outperform opinion polls uh, for the past several years for a variety of reasons that don't really have to do directly with Trump or Biden, have to do with things like Roe v. Wade. um, uh, and that may continue. Uh, the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high here that um, it's 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 critical that um, the the campaign against Trump, the double-barreled campaign in every battleground state to convince voters that they will lose democracy, that they will lose fundamental rights, that they will not be able to marry who they want or buy a contraceptive or have uh, certain kinds of healthcare or uh, have the freedom to um, uh, uh, listen to dissenting points of view or perhaps ever again participate in an election. That's gotta be brought home in a way that it's not happening right now. And, and you know to me, that's where the urgency is, particularly in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Arizona and New Mexico and Georgia and North Carolina and the states that we would determine as battleground states, because we've seen what happened. We saw what happened in 2016. We saw 70,000 people be the difference between having a sensible, effective president, and having a lunatic as president. And we also saw third-party candidates back then, you know, I mean, in places like Michigan, Jill Stein got enough votes that had they gone to Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump wouldn't have been president. And we've got this phenomenon now where you've got, you know, Robert F. Kennedy, and you've got uh, Jill Stein, and you've got Cornell West, and you may or may not have uh, no labels, and that's, you know, those 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 are really really frightening things, and they require massive counter campaigns, and not, you know, in a long time. You know, we're recording this on in the middle of December, in a month the Iowa caucuses are going to happen. It's here. We're in the middle of this. So. When you go through that
0: list of third party candidates, Bobby Kennedy right now is twenty five percent of the vote. Um and Cornell West is at three to five. You put Jill Stein with two to three. You look at uh Joe Manchin and If he were to run with a Republican, you look at Liz Cheney speculating about this. Let me let me posit this and tell you what I what I think that that may be. So eight years on. With Donald Trump, the dominant cultural figure. What we're seeing is almost the ice cleaving from the glacier, if you will. We are we are seeing the crack up of the two-party system. Uh, the Republican Party has utterly failed as an institution, and the Democratic Party has failed to maintain its coalition, and in part has failed in that it hasn't completely repudiated or stopped or made the case to repudiate or stop whoever you want to process it, the MAGA movement. And what we're seeing is the birth of kind of a multi-party coalition uh, type democracy in a binary system that could certainly accrue to elect an authoritarian candidate. Because the one thing that no one's talking about is the reality that with that many candidates, this becomes, A, a 30 to 45 state race, not a three state 70,000 vote race. And two, the delta between zero and 300 electoral votes and a multiple candidate race is the delta between about 31 and 39% of the vote. And so it becomes an infinitely more complex political campaign, if you have more than two people that are pulling up around that 30 percent mark, let alone one at 30 percent, you know, and three or four others in there at that at that five percent mark. But the Democrats don't get a vote right on the on the proposition if any of these people are going to do it right. They have a right to do it. You have to be able to figure out how to win the election, right in that in that circumstance. And so I guess my question my question to you is that as we kind of come into 2024, what do you think that Biden needs to say to the country, do we need to see more of him during the week? Does he need to be on Trump every day? Does somebody need to be on him every day? Um, how do you see it? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a hardliner on this. I'm, I, I hit, you know, Trump needs to be engaged uh, nonstop, every second of every minute of every hour of every day until this is over.
1: I'm with you 100%. I will leave it to political strategists to determine who should be out there. But somebody needs to be out there in every one of these states. I don't necessarily need Joe Biden to be in Texas right now. But I do need to see a bunch of women who are fearing for their lives because they don't have the right to get the health care they need. I do need to see um, other people who are current or potential victims of the policies of Donald Trump, of the Republican Party, of the MAGA movement every day. And, you know, we live in a world where that can mean videos on social media, it can mean live events, it can mean uh, appearances on, uh, on on cable news channels, uh, it, it and it should mean all of those things. So I'm with you. I'm I'm not just an absolutist. I'm a maximalist. If there's something we can be doing, we should be doing it. And you know, in my in my sense, you know, this is a one issue election. Do you want to continue to have democracy in the United States of America? And I'll tell you something. As somebody who writes a column who's on TV a couple of times a week, who goes out and give talks and so forth. It it has affected how how I behave. There are issues that I've got with how the Biden administration behaves. I generally do not raise them because I don't think that they can or should be weakened in any way. You know, I, I you know, want to ensure that the message that people get, and you may say, well, you know, that's your thumb. Well, I'm an opinion writer, first of all. But secondly, um, the stakes are too high. The stakes are, are far too high. You know, and, and when I see people saying, well, you know, he's got a bad policy in Gaza, and you know, that's going to lead to Muslim Americans not voting for him. I'm like somebody's got to be out there and saying, are you kidding me? You're going to vote for the guy who put in place the Muslim ban? You're going to vote for a guy who said he was going to do it again? You're going to vote for somebody who is fundamentally racist and wants to keep brown people out of the United States? You're going to vote for the guy who's supported by the MAGA Christians? You know, I mean, the, you know, who, who's, who want to impose a certain kind of theocratic view on the United States? But But that's, you know, that goes to your point. Every single time it is possible to challenge him, he needs to be challenged.
0: Is there a method of challenging him that has not been employed that should be?
1: I don't think he is challenged enough on on issues of truth. You know, I saw there's a little change and I saw, you know, Ron Johnson was on CNN the other day and Afterwards, Caitlin Collins fact-checked it real in a real hard way, and you know we've seen Trump get up and lie in a lot of a uh, lot of uh, forums, televised forums, town halls. I I w- I don't think he should ever be given a live mic. I, you know if you're going to do an interview, do it on tape, fact check it, put the fact checked up there. You know I think I think. The, the 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 fact that he's a pathological liar and the fact that he's trying to lie in order to get the votes of the american people that's something that needs to be called
0: i had a i did a podcast the other day with evan smith of the texas tribune who i think is a highly ethical deeply serious very thoughtful journalist and observer of American life, this moment, um, the collapse of local news. And we're having this conversation and I grew up in central New Jersey and the news, right? Such as it was, it was it was turned the 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 news on. And what that meant was Bill Butel at Eyewitness Action News Channel 7 uh it meant frank reynolds you know in my era growing up on 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 abc news and that was the news and on the news were reports of significant events that happened and a couple times a year there would be breaking news and if there was breaking news there was something very serious that happened right that had that occurred uh you know that was shattering so i'm i'm thinking about that right because this is anchored in how i grew up and the world i grew up in and the news such as it is that comes across my feed is that uh alex jones vivek ramaswamy presidential candidate such as he is um andrew tate the accused sex offender and rapist And really professional misogynists and Elon Musk have all gathered together on X to talk about who knows what. And this is a few days after Ramaswamy talks about that January 6th was perpetrated by the FBI, that 9 11 is an inside job committed by the government, not by Al Qaeda. And then CNN has Ramaswamy on with Abby Phillips in primetime television, giving him an hour to spew his nonsense. And my question is about the Trump industrial complex as a whole, the billions of dollars that have been made from the Trump show over the last eight years, is how do you contain that show? My, My daughter goes to the University of Iowa. And she just went to see Trump and I and her roommates and I'm talking to them. None of them will vote for Trump, but it was like going to the Dave Chappelle show, right? It was like going to see the Kardashians, right? It was an event. Um, It was fun. It was people dressed up. It was a scene. And yet, as I pointed out to her, what's being said there is acutely dangerous. How how do you address all that? How do you you think about that?
1: I I think you you have to contain it. I think you have to address it head on. My wife has a theory that until the Kardashians are gone, we will always have the risk of Trump. Uh, And I think the point is that, you know, this this world of reality television from whence he came blurs the lines and the lines get further blurred when you've got Elon Musk controlling Twitter and promoting conspiracy theories, when you've got conspiracy theorists platformed by CNN, when you've got Fox News um, uh, selling lies. The vast majority of Americans right now do not see the world as it is. They they don't. They see it through distortive lenses, funhouse mirrors. It's not the reality that's actually going on out there. And so we have to fight that at every turn, you know. Uh, and 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 frankly, we live in a moment where you can't, because everybody's got a social media platform. Everybody reaches a group of people beyond themselves. Sometimes it's ten people. Sometimes it's via podcast. Sometimes it's ten thousand people. There are people who have platforms and they reach millions of people. And we, all those people, can counter program. Everybody who listens to your podcasts can counter program, because via facebook or via twitter or via tiktok or via instagram or via youtube um they have the chance to go out and reach out and amplify a message of how things uh really are um you know i i also grew up in central new jersey although i like to consider it northern new jersey i'm a i'm kind of a purist and i really think there's north jersey and south jersey and never the twain shall meet you know Mm -hmm. so that's i resist the concept of central new jersey but um
0: adopting adopting that then then i would then i would be in northern jersey
1: what where where'd you grow up north plainfield north plainfield well i grew up five minutes from there right I, i grew up as a little kid in berkeley heights new jersey which uh, was just, just a, across Route 22 from where you were. And then I we moved to Summit when things started to get good. My dad worked at Bell Labs, right? And I grew up in that same environment. And you had two newspaper choices in the morning, the New York Times and the Newark Star-Ledger. And that was it. And there was a real focus on, you know, all the news that's fit to print. I don't think we fully realize how how altered our perception of the world is today from what it was then from because we see it through social media because we uh see it in real time with real time reactions which are much more fueled by emotion than they are by reflection um, uh, or perspective um and and You know, I hate to sound like, you know, like some Alta Cocker who's like, oh yeah, back in the old days it was much better, you know. Um, But it was much better. But it was better. It was better because there were fewer platforms. There were more people fighting to have a space on those platforms. So there were standards. And right now, the vast majority of what people see every single day is unfiltered bullshit. And you know if you live in an environment where what you see is bullshit what you read is bullshit what you're inhaling with every breath is bullshit then between your ears is going to be bullshit
0: so a couple years ago i went down to one of these festivals it was south by southwest or texas tribute and i was on a panel and the panel was the six second sound bite and the proposition was right how do you communicate um in a world where right the amount of information right that's packaged has decreased from a minute 30 you know to six seconds and other people on the panel were like well this is how you do it and i was the contrarian right my point was obviously you can't say anything in six seconds right in fact right it's less time than the attention span of a mouse. And what it guarantees, if our politics is structured around six seconds of nonsensical elocutions, is that the dumbest candidate will win every time. The guy who says, build the wall, Mexico will pay for it. You can say those things in six seconds, right? You can't talk about complexity. You can't talk about serious issues right in six seconds ever
1: right and well, so and but that you know that it's compounded by the other factor and I know this now more than I did before because now I have a company that does podcasting and so forth what drives the podcast what drives all of this now oh. virality virality is the issue and how do you achieve virality right. you touch a nerve You, you know, but it's not just that you lose nuance, it's that you have to inflame. So Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a complete lunatic, who's completely incompetent, but occasionally he says stuff that's so crazy that it goes viral. And that gives him power. And so it's, it's 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 not just it's not short and sweet. Is short and sick and and that's part of our problem
0: well part of the problem too is the is the lack of you know I think is the lack of reading in the society right I mean the reality is is that uh it was a very much you know compared to today's standards by numbers of college graduates and people who are working you know not with their hands um you know we have a we have a we have a population that's much more white collar than it's ever been and much less literate than it's ever been you know at the at the same time and you just know look at old photographs right of people passively sitting anywhere in any city on any given day everybody's reading something right they're reading a newspaper right they're being informed by a common point of facts and you know today um, you know, there's a very, very, very short attention span. People, you know, consume information in short uh, bursts uh, that don't necessarily have any context around them, and you know, the result is the hollowing out of meaning around a country uh, that's founded on an idea, which is which is an enormous strategic problem if you're trying to defend the efficacy of the idea.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's compounded by other problems, one of which is a lot of these media are interactive, and that seemed like a really good idea. But you may remember a few years ago, I mean, I was running a magazine at the time, Foreign Policy magazine. And, you know, we go out, we get on the web, and the first thing you think you're going to do is, well, we'd like to get comments. And, 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 of course, the comments didn't just come from thoughtful commentators, they came from lunatics people started sort of hijacking the platform. And after a while, a lot of media started to say, well, no, we don't want to do that because the comments actually devalue, degrade the the quality of the information as opposed to elevating it, which one had hoped that it would do. Um, But, you know, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all of those other places, they are interactive. And all of a sudden, everybody thinks, that they've got to offer their opinion all the time, you know. That they don't have to spend any time forming their damn opinion. I, you know, I don't know what it was like in North Plainfield, but in Berkeley Heights or in Summit, at ten o'clock at night, if you walked into my living room, my mom was in one chair reading a book, and my dad was in another chair reading a book or reading a magazine, and they would spend you know two hours of their night consuming. And, you know, thinking and being left with their thoughts. When does that happen? You know, I constantly have people come up to me and they say, you know, I do my best thinking in the shower. And I go, yeah, well, duh, because the average American spends 17 hours pumping stuff electronically into their brains. So it's all receptive and it's not reflective. And the only time you're left alone with your own brain is in the shower. Um, And so I think this leads to kind of national punch drunkness. You know, we're like sitting there and there's constantly stuff going through and we're responding and our friends are responding. And we're like, well, if I say this, are my friends going to say that? And, you know, how is this going to affect my social standing? And you know all, you know it every, the the consumption of information about our uh uh life as a polity as a as a as a society um is hijacked by a constant set of other stimuli and other criteria and so we don't see it the way it ought to be and 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 you know, if if you're strong-willed and and intellectually disciplined, you can navigate your way through that. But most people aren't. Most people just want to get by, have a decent life, have a beer, and not feel shitty at the end of the day. Well, let me ask you this: What is it
0: that has become so repellent with the Democratic Party's brand to so many working class Americans that not so long ago were part of its base, that it's even possible that this MAGA coalition, which I basically view as a coalition of extremism and lassitude, Right. That hovers just outside of a majoritarian space between the between the two. But in a in a in a sports league with two teams, which is what our system is, how how can the Democratic Party team be losing to to these guys or be in a position where it's possible to lose to them eight years on? Well, what what is what is not being said that needs to be said from the from the from the reservoir from the spirit from the core of the of the democratic party that's lying that's lying dormant that needs to be summoned
1: well i don't want to i don't want to um put all the blame on the Democrats for not communicating well, which they don't. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I would like to say that firsthand, in that game in which there are two teams, you know, somebody paid off the refs. So you know, over the course of the past 40 years, there has been this movement among uh, you know group of moneyed people on the right, very intelligently, to um, work, state legislatures work, governors gerrymander districts, get judges put into place, you know, put their thumb on the scale, so that they they, they could gain a certain degree of uh, uh, unfair advantage. Right now, this compounds the unfair advantage that they red states were given when the Constitution was written. Right, so we're at a moment where effectively now but certainly in a couple of years 70% 70 members of the United States Senate will be elected by 30% of the voters in the United States and so we have a system that gives disproportionate power to the base of the red states um and and and, and so that's by consequence though
0: not by not by intent
1: well, it was a different kind of intent, but it the, it is where we are, right? So all of a sudden, you've got this, you know, a disproportionate um, power that it, that accrues to you if you live in a less populous state, um, and um, you, you, you've got um, uh, a, a bunch of legislatures and other things that have gerrymandered and put in place you know, judges like the judges that we have now in the Fifth Circuit and so forth, that tend to tip the scales in the favor of the, of the Republican Party when it there comes to be a contest. And I think it's important to remember that whatever it is, seven out of the last eight presidential elections, Democrats have won the majority of the vote. Democrats are the majority. It's not, the, it's, it's not that their message is so unappealing that they're a tiny minority. Their message is appealing enough that they're the majority. They're not a majority in the places you need to be a mes- majority in order to win in our system. And that's you know the critical issue. And when you look at those places, those swing states, those purple states, then you get into this issue of the democratic message. And part of it's impossible to overcome because I think we have to be honest with ourselves. The democratic party is associated with urban areas with diversity with people of color um and 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 there's a lot of racism in the republican impulse and message they're they're repelled by that they're frightened they're they know they've heard 2043 the majority of americans will be people who we once called minorities um, this period of white male domination of our political system is over.